I had already started recording because I thought we were kind of on a roll there. So. Oh, we were kind of on a roll. <laughs> damn it! Well, the the well, the listeners will have to will have to hear us talk about uh, the through line between scientific approaches to history and scientific apo- approaches to psychoanalysis some other time. Uh, right. <laughs> oh my gosh, we've got so many more episodes like the nature of the state to do because we could, that's true. I mean, like. I mean, with the amount of time that we spend just sitting in chats and and bullshitting, you know, it's like it'll it'll be easy. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, and I'm sure that there's stuff that hopefully that you know, if folks want us to talk about, they will you know let us know. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah I'm sure everybody is really excited to to hear my thoughts when I finally finish this individuation in light of forms and formation by Gilbert Simondon, a topic <laughs> which everyone has wondered about and not been given the answers to. <laughs> I am but, uh, actually looking forward to hearing about that. Yeah, it, it should be good. I'm about halfway through the book. It's excellent. My homie Taylor Adkins, uh, one of the hosts of Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour, translated it. Uh, shouts out to him. everybody all of our darling listeners to work stoppage the number one continental philosophy podcast <laughs> on the left we're the youngest of hegelians um <laughs> no but i we're, we're here correct. to talk we're here on the regular episode to talk about labor news we are entirely listener supported so if you want to hear us get a little off topic we do have patreon episodes for you that you can subscribe for and those really go a long way towards supporting the show if you're not already in the discord you can't see the meme reviews so get in the discord and uh if at all possible leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or leave someone else a five-star review and just mention our show (laughs) (laughs) that's right and so uh, the first one we've got this week is uh, is a follow-up with a strike that we covered a few weeks ago. Uh, this is about a Teamster strike at a Pepsi plant in Munster, Indiana. Uh, when we covered it originally, one of the things that we were pointing out is this is kind of a bizarre strike because there's two union units at this plant, both repped by the Teamsters, mm-hmm. but they're independent. And one accepted a contract and the other didn't, which has led to some really awkward scenarios for their uh, picket lines. Yeah. Um, it, but th- this story is super interesting because, like, because it's something that isn't ever going to happen to you and your union. Right. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. Unfortunately, this story is maybe the first of its type that I've seen recently. I mean, certainly... The amount of support here is is cert- is a lot it's good. more fervent. Than- it's great. So what what we're getting at here is so these despite the you know issues but with the weird structure of how the union was set up at this plant, which is largely driven by Pepsi's you know attempts at union busting or at the at best when they can't prevent a union to weaken them as much as possible. Now, however, though, uh, despite those issues, the the folks have stayed strong. They've held firm. They've been on strike for almost a month now, and they've gotten some support from an area that we're here, at least certainly not used to seeing it from, from a direct city government. Uh, (laughs) A nearby city, the city of Hammond, which is the, the most populous city in northwest Indiana, 
the city itself is now threatening to boycott Pepsi if they do not reach a agreement with the, the you know local Teamsters Local 142 who are on strike right now by this Friday. And specifically, their mayor, Thomas McDermott Jr., notified all the city departments that there would be a citywide boycott unless the strike is resolved, saying, quote, we've been good to Pepsi. We do a lot of business with them, but I can't in good conscience continue to be a customer if they aren't using union drivers. If Pepsi management can't resolve their differences with the union by Friday, August 20th, Hammond will begin using Coke and we will terminate all our Pepsi contracts. <laughs> what I love about this is just this this government official be like, we have to have union drivers. I don't think you understand. Like, if you're not do if you're not like supporting the union, then we can't do this. And I it's I love it, but it's so surprising that yeah. they are saying that because like people in power don't say those things. I mean, this so, is really like the bare minimum, <laughs> right? They're like, hey, look, Pepsi, if you don't get your shit together, I swear to God, the entire office is going to be drinking Coke from now on. And like, yeah. that's such an American thing, too, to be like, oh, McDonald's, you don't want to play nice? Well, we're ordering Wendy's. Like, but <laughs> also, like, it is badass. And it it's also like you said, Lena, like, it's kind of shocking how low the bar is that that's like unexpectedly high level levels of solidarity is to say yeah. like we'll switch to coke right because like <laughs> right. you know like you you would think it, you know in a in a world where we didn't understand how the you know bourgeois capitalist state is constructed and runs and according to the interests of the ruling class you would think in an actual democracy that this would be a more common occurrence but as far as this sort of thing like a you know threatening boycotts against companies the the only stuff I'm used to seeing is, you know, bullshit from your local like, NGO or like culture war nonsense from right. far right wing groups where they're like, oh, Ben and Jerry's isn't going to sell fucking three flavors of their, uh, you know, ice cream in the occupied West Bank. They are clearly anti-Semitic and we're going to stop selling Ben and Jerry's <laughs> and they don't actually do that. But they just, you know, say that to get a bunch of political points like they call that the saber rattling <laughs> yeah no exactly so like that's all i'm used to seeing is that sort of you know reactionary busy box nonsense of, of people mm-hmm. just trying to get political points but this is also not just a statement they mentioned that mcdermott the, the mayor of, of hammond has gone and visited the the strikers on the picket line encouraged them to keep fighting uh, and and has continued on this and said that I in, quote I invite other communities, corporations, and individuals to join me in sending Pepsi a message and letting them know that you won't be their customer if they can't resolve this labor dispute. This is about treating workers with the respect they deserve. Hiring scab drivers and allowing trucks to go in and out across the picket line is just a further insult to the union workers. I've always stood by the right to organize and the right of workers to make just demands on management. I hope that Pepsi will see the light and sit down with the Teamsters and resolve this dispute. Yeah, so I love the statement overall. There are two points that I want to bring up about it. One, inviting corporations to join the union uh, in solidarity. Not going to happen. It's already surprising that this person is, is, being, is holding this much solidarity with these workers. But then also the, the line, uh, do, 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 let me, uh, I've always supported uh, the right of workers to make just demands on management. Now, there's a that qualifier in there. 
really, I think it speaks a lot to a little bit of the liberal brain. And, oh, yeah. And it's like, what is a just demand? In my opinion, a just demand is giving up ownership to the workers. Right. right. Am I wrong about that? No, but I mean, <laughs> this guy, this is one of those like cool mayors, right? Like he's in right. Indiana, which is a, which is a very conservative state. So he comes out and he does a bunch of like kind of like progressive lib things and the occasional libertarian thing. Like uh, he was, there was some kind of election in November, 2009 when uh, his close associate, David Werpel, a postal worker, precinct captain and political commentator got arrested after Indiana state police said they spotted marijuana growing in his backyard. And he like <laughs> fought the charges and he got his buddy to not get prosecuted for marijuana possession. He's like your typical, like I'm the cool substitute teacher kind of like <laughs> yeah. progressive dem like he's gonna say he, he's better like than average but he's test. still gonna fuck up it's just like looking it up in the book it's just like googling it i had a teacher once it's just like yeah i mean here's the test why don't you, you, you actually actually talk to each other i mean i had was, a substitute that I was mr allen yeah <laughs> he he specifically said and i and i quote uh because he also he had a great french accent he was like uh you can cheat on the test uh just know you are only cheating yourselves Okay, and then he like opened a newspaper and did not look up. Um, yeah, but anyway, that's what this guy's trying to be. He's trying to be like the the fucking cool stepdad of Northwest Indiana or whatever. And it's nice. I'm it's, glad he's throwing his cool. hat in with the union. But yeah, I mean, like, don't put too much stock in guys like this because they are at the end of the day Dems who routinely endorse people like Hillary Clinton and all that bullshit. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is clearly in the same vein of like, look, you know. The workers and the managers, they just need to come together on a plan that's going to make things better for both groups. Because there's, right. uh, there's there's no understanding that like there that is a clash between those two groups of interest. It will be worse for the company. <laughs> right. But but that being said, if, if we could just get to if this being a baseline, that would be an improvement. That's not an endorsement of reformist politics, but just to say that in the hellhole that is, you know, the local government sphere <laughs> within the United right. States, this is a breath of fresh air. <laughs> right. And I want to clarify my Absolutely. last statement. It's not, wor- it's not worse for the company. It's worse for the, uh, the ruling class owners of the company. I mean, if anything, this is good for the company because more people will have better work conditions. So yeah, no, I mean, clarify what I said there, because sometimes I I think, oh, yeah, it's going to be bad for the company. And I like that. I mean, that's not actually really what I mean. I I mean that like the company is the workers and this is good for them, though. Technically, it's owned by these ruling class assholes and it's bad for them. And that's also good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So uh, hats off to the uh, the mayor of Hammond here. I hope that if the strike, uh, you know, carries on through the end of this week, that they do actually follow through, and we'll we'll definitely be watching to see see That'd how that goes. So cool, but yeah. just I wanna, the, I wanna see the, the threat, threat followed through with, yeah, yeah, is is pretty dope. Um, and so our next story, though. <laughs> Not, so <laughs> Not as nice. Yeah. There's no mm-hmm. cool stepdads here giving you 40 bucks and saying, hey, go to the arcade, kid. Um, <laughs> no, this is Ascension, Wisconsin, one of the largest nonprofit healthcare companies in the country, which has recently given out bonuses to all of their employees, except for the ones who are part of a union. Yeah. And 
I like I couldn't quite piece together exactly what was going on here when I first read this until I reached the part where they they talk about how Ascension Wisconsin keeps reiterating that they're not allowed to give union employees bonuses. Yeah, which right. if if you know anything about a union <laughs> It exists to put more money in workers' hands, <laughs> yeah. and there is never a stipulation that says if the company wants to give you more money, they can't. That's well, never in there. I, I think that uh, this is specifically a confusion of the process of unionization and the concept of status quo, right. where uh, the NLRA outlines that uh, they can't do anything to specifically benefit certain workers or necessarily the shop that is separate from what they do with other other shops in order to kind of say that oh we're we're good now and you don't need the union or look at all these other people who are getting this benefit and you aren't don't join the union which is actually that's what they're doing right now so that's a union bus clear union busting tactic but Mm -hmm. also i don't think it's said anywhere that these workers are in status quo uh and like all you really have to do with something like this is if you're really concerned, it's like, oh, well, maybe they're, they're, we're going to get, you know, an, uh, an unfair labor practice by, by, you know, treating these people this way. And just like, you know, you can just talk to the union and be like, hey, we'd like to give out these bonuses. And then the union can be like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's the thing is they're basically using their own anti-union talking points and like putting on those blinders to pretend that they're actually true to right. justify what is clearly union busting behavior. Um, because like that, it, that's one of those talking points we always hear, you know, every time I feel like we cover a union drive, one of those points that they push in either the, you know, the captive audience meetings, the one on like the one-on-ones, the, all the stuff that they do with the, their bullshit about how unions are going to be a third party. One of the things they always talk about is like, maybe your wages will go up. Maybe they'll go down. You'll lose control of it because we all we have to do the bargaining and we have to stick to that. And then we have no ability to do anything else, which is like, that's not true. That's just shit you made up to convince people unions are bad. Well, and like lose control of my wages? Lose what fucking control <laughs> right. of my wages? I don't have any fucking control over my wages right now. You're just and flattering me. You're telling me like, oh, you're so influential in the store, in the, the workshop, in the warehouse. Policy. Yeah, well, yeah. The well, it's The thing that's the, so gross about this one is that they're doing this all under the whole cover of the, you know, healthcare heroes, essential workers shit that we've been talking about, you know, ever since the pandemic started, they put out this statement, quote, as you know, we continue to express our sincerest gratitude for our extraordinary caregivers and associates who have risen to the challenge of the ongoing pandemic. Our frontline associates have been selfless and compassionate in providing extraordinary care under very difficult circumstances. Ascension Wisconsin has been humbled and inspired by our caregivers and the teams that support them. Unless you're in a fucking union. <laughs> right? Oh my god! I, that the 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 term selfless really fucking pisses me off because that's the whole implication is that like 
Thank you so much for putting your lives on the line for this company. I would for do that. free. Yeah. yeah, here's here's and these these bonuses are not like a huge amount of money or anything no. either. They're five hundred dollars for employees who work full time, two fifty for those who work part time, and two hundred who work a minimum number of hours when needed. It's not like life changing amounts of money. It's not a real fucking thank you. It's not hazard pay. It doesn't. It's a fucking it's pizza a party. It, it's a it's a fairly expensive pizza party. Is <laughs> yes. what they've given these employees and in what is an obviously political move to try and you know make people be like well if union members don't get bonuses maybe i shouldn't be a part of the union and it's like i think if you do the math out real quick and check your paycheck from year to year you're gonna realize that you should probably stay in the fucking union yeah absolutely and and the union reps that were interviewed for this story were very explicit that before Ascension started issuing these bonuses. They had been there, like their union had been talking with the company for months saying, Hey, you keep talking about how, you know, grateful you are for all our workers, all these nurses, all these, these care employees, all of the various, you know, it truly essential staff that have been, you know, keeping these hospitals and, and healthcare facilities running. You keep talking about how important they are and how much you appreciate it. Maybe you should give people bonuses. Mm -hmm. And the company turned around and said, yeah, you know, that's a good idea. That's a great way for us to <laughs> try and fuck over your union folks. We're going to give the bonuses to everybody else and then lie and tell everybody that we can't give you bonuses because of the collective bargaining agreement. It's a brilliant plan. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, that's again, what all they have to do is consult the union, be like, we would like to give bonuses. And then the union says, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's really all it is. Like, and they point out in here the rep from this is Jamie Lucas, who's executive director of the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, which is the the union that represents the unionized employees, mostly nurses, but also other employees at these facilities. Specifically noted the example of a another healthcare provider in the area, Aurora Medical Center Burlington, which provided hardship bonuses exact same thing to all of their employees unionized and non-unionized and hey weird there's no unfair labor practice against that those people because that's not an actual problem like that's not a real thing like you can't listen to the company when they tell you this stuff about oh well we'd love to give the union workers bonuses we really would we would really love to do that but we're constrained by the inefficiencies of collective bargaining <laughs> guests you yeah. shouldn't have joined a union not they're fault. just they're just sticking a stick in their own in the spokes of their own wheel and then telling you that the union did it it's like yeah, the most right. fucking transparent bullshit in the world yeah absolutely yeah. and 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 i think that the quote there's a quote here from lucas that really says it all he said it's absolutely insulting it's diminishing the trauma and chaos that they've experienced over in the past year it's to turn people against their union it's a tried and true union busting tactic and that's exactly right like they, they've exactly got it and this is incredibly fucked and just, you know, all the more reason why, you know, never listen to the company when they tell you, you know, what the benefits or the, you know, according to them, costs of unionizing are going to be because they're mm -hmm. just going to lie to you like this company is to its workers. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And I guess uh, on the idea of uh, putting a stick in the in the wheel of a <laughs> bicycle, uh, I think our, our next story is a little bit that. Uh 
we're looking at a new app that was designed to help you know workers that are struggling with unionization with going through the union process and this app is going to solve all admit not much. So, uh, so, so answer a few <laughs> of my questions about this app. Uh, yeah, it was developed it. by union members and organizers, right? No. It has It has the backing of several major, well-respected, militant rank-and-file unions. It's actually specifically no. not associated with, with unions. The, the software is at least open source so that union members can use it to whatever ends they want. You know, no. your, your data is collected and it's going to be sold to the highest bidder. Oh, wow. This sounds exactly like every other fucking app that's come out in the last 20 years. Yeah. So let's go over some of the details on this. This is a, an app called Unit, as in like bargaining unit, because that's what they intend to try to develop is, right. you know, uh, unions that have gone through the NLRA uh, process of, of getting the election and getting a union. Uh, but without those pesky, you know, parent unions and all of their, you know, strike funds and, and <laughs> you know, experienced lawyers, they want you uh, to just have your t- tiny resources. little... Resources. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone hates resources. God. <laughs> yeah, and so... Uh, assuming that you manage without, uh, you know, any guidance from anything outside of this app, that you manage to get an election, win the election, you then presumably create your own local with no funds and no backing, with no union to, to back it up. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm kind of like putting all the bad stuff out front, and uh, there's, there's definitely more of the slightly covert bad stuff that we that we still need to go over. Right? Uh, no, but like, uh, who's fun- uh, like more specifically, who is funding it and things like that? Well, well ahead, it's John. more dramatic to have a union uh, engagement, okay? When instead of you know uh, arming up, suiting up with the armor of a larger union that's well established and can contribute resources and expertise, who wants to do that when you can have the anime story of a ragtag gang of gig <laughs> workers who found each other on the internet and single-handedly take down Uber Eats in a David versus Goliath situation, which will definitely definitely happen if this app proliferates. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like I don't think any of us want to come across as, you know, being against independent unions or, or trying to push the idea that, you know, uh, if you, you know, if there isn't a immediately accessible major union or for whatever reason, the bargaining unit at the workplace you're trying to organize is very small and nobody in the area has resources for that, that like forming an independent union is a bad idea. It's not. That's not our argument here. The issue is that this is implying that the reason that more workers in the country, and you can see this from the the interviews with the founders of the app and and in this article and on their own documentation, the implication and, and their assertion is basically that it's not, the problem isn't that U.S. labor law is weighted, you know, incredibly heavily in favor of the businesses. The problem is people don't have communications tools. The problem is that, you know, people don't know how to get in touch with each other to be able to form a unit. That's the reason if people could do that, everyone would be unionized because that's basically what their claim is with this this Mm -hmm. app because that's basically what the app 
functionally does is it gives you a communications platform to be able to talk with other people in your potential bargaining unit and organize and figure out how to set up uh, your your election. But as we've seen, you know, in example after example after example of Union Drive is both successful and failed. It, people can figure out how to talk to their own coworkers yeah. about but, yeah. whether or not they need a union. And, Let's and be isn't clear. Even this as is secure as signal. I mean, like, uh, is there is no. there encryption inside of this? Like, no, absolutely not. not. This is just a souped-up Discord server. Let's be yeah. completely real, or Slack channel, or you know, whatever. I've been invited to so many things on so many fucking platforms. Uh, that are organizing related, whether it's for like a, a party or a union or the IWW or whatever, like th- these tools are out there. Fucking if you want to, to do your shit on a, on a venture capital backed platform where they will almost definitely sell your information to the highest bidder, just make a Google Docs spreadsheet. And be done with it. <laughs> like, I mean, for make real. a Facebook group. That worked <laughs> yeah. for Los Deliveristas Unidos exactly. in, in New York City. And, and like they were able to, you know, come up with their organizing unit without having to pay a bunch of money to some app that's funded by a bunch of people that I don't really think have the best interests of uh, the labor no. movement at, at right. home. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you're on one of these like tech giant platforms like Facebook or whatever, like you can fly under their radar. Facebook, the company, doesn't care about some random small union getting together. But if you are organizing on a platform that was specifically marketed towards independent unions by venture capital hawks... Funded by Bloomberg... Funded by Bloomberg, then you have to imagine that your data is going to be given to the most catastrophic person it could possibly be given to at any given moment. Yeah. Well, and I think that one thing to to like. So let's go. Let's, let's assume the best. Let's 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 take this uh, app and say you have not had other ways of necessarily communicating with your coworkers, and that you know you. Like two or three of you happen to sign up for this thing, and suddenly you realize, and then you get your election, you get your union, and uh, like, is this app going to be like giving notifications? Is like, have you done a structure test recently? Have you like <laughs> confronted your boss? Have here's an idea of a of a letter template that you could all sign and hand to your boss, and like, there's no, I, I doubt that there's going to be like those the notifications like, have you considered like doing concerted protected worker activity today? Like that's not like that's what a union is for but that's not what this app is gonna do oh yeah yeah like clippy popping up on the side of the screen like i see you faced a workplace injustice recently do you need help figuring (laughs) out how to organize a walkout Uh, (laughs) i don't think that that's gonna gonna fucking no 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 it's gonna be like extinction rebellion shit like watered down like fake symbolic versions of workplace you they're gonna be like uh everybody uh say something in unison during lunchtime or like, you know, some fucking yeah. everyone practice 10 extra minutes of mindfulness on the clock today. Oh, Let the yeah. boss know, like, not, it's going to be like, bullshit. Not like you should uh, you you should look up company policy so that you can figure out the bare minimum amount of work that you need to do in order <laughs> to do a proper work slowdown. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, in addition, obviously, to, you know, all of these specific concerns about data capture which will 100% happen with this thing and the fact that it's i would argue basically a tech based honeypot absolutely <laughs> oh, yeah. 
But in addition to that, there I think there are some other aspects about it that are kind of insidious that are, are, go into this article, which is it's a Vice article, which makes perfect sense. This is the perfect thing for Vice to talk about. <laughs> um, Although they're not talking about it like we are. No, uh, they were a lot more. Their article's a little more balanced. I oh guess. yeah, they think I they lo- would call it than our take. <laughs> I love it when the same story comes across my desk and Gavin McInnes's desk. That way, you can really get some contrasting viewpoints. You know, <laughs> but. So one of the things that the, one of the ways this the app works is that like, you know, obviously in addition to I'm sure through advertisements and other methods, the way that these folks will you know make money off of this project is that if you organize your union through unit using the app and using the the quote, resources quote unquote, I, apparently they do have some you know on staff or on retainer lawyers and accountants and organizers to help with this stuff, but. The article didn't have a whole lot of examples of success with that. Um, but if you do organize through unit, instead of paying dues to, you know, an actual union, you pay your dues to unit. Uh, to you the pay, board. Uh, yeah, to 0.8% of your income. And one of the things that they mentioned in here, because the example, one of the examples they use is they, they talk to, I believe, some AT&T workers. And one of the people they talk to specifically mentioned, hey, you know, this is way cheaper than than the union dues at at uh, at like major unions and I'm like well one cheaper is the correct word <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm like it's because it's because you're not you're not really getting anything out of it and, well and, and tech companies run at a loss for a long time on purpose but, uh, totally off of VC capital and then at the end they just sell or do whatever the investors want or jack the prices up once they've captured the market like this is standard uber and lyft and fucking deliveroo shit like for real and and in this case like as as lena was alluding to it's like the reason you pay those dues to your union and we have a kind of have a meme about this (laughs) in the meme review is because the collective ability of that union with those pooled resources from the workers gives the people in that union a huge added amount of bargaining power but if each one of these unit, you know, bargaining units is completely independent and doesn't have access to, you know, the resources of lawyers and, you know, union organizers with decades of experience who know what all of the, you know, anti-union and union busting tactics that they're going to see might be without having access to all of that and without having access to that broader network that can, you know, especially if you're at a large employer, like say, Pepsi or, you know, uh, or Dr. Pepper, like the, the, the strike we talked about on a previous episode where you have a big union that can threaten to shut down, you know, production in an entire region. You don't have any of that with, with organizing with this app. And so like, it's not that like, you know, it's cheap because it's a good value. It's cheap because you're not getting anything out of it. And that in itself kind of works as a union busting tactic because it's it's telling people that like it's giving people the impression that union dues are a waste of money or that you know they're some onerous expense right yeah and so i think it's important to go back to the beginning of like union history back during like industrialization and not that's not necessarily the beginning of union history but the uh, of modern union history and the reasons why dues came to exist. So some of the first uh, like 
miners that were part of of these unions were realizing that they've got a lot of power and they've got uh, a lot of benefits that they're getting out of this and they wanted to get more people in unions and so what did they do they came together and collectively decided let's put some money aside so that we can pay people to go out and inform people we can actually have the resources we need to coordinate with other workers and expand the workers movement because we are stronger together and if we put resources towards building up our our union and other people's unions we will only increase our collective power that is the original reason why dues were created was specifically so that they could do more organizing become more powerful increase the workers collective power like don't forget that Yeah, and also critically, especially you know when you we've seen some of these longer strikes, it's so that you can actually put together a strike fund. Now, I mean, you know, nobody's taken out as much so much money that you can you, know, you can have people go out on strike forever. Under capitalism, the workers are never that that power imbalance is always going to be fucked in favor of the the company. But that ability to be able to stay out for more than a few days or a week is in a lot of cases heavily dependent on the development of a strike fund, which is largely funded by dues. So when you, if you have a union that doesn't take any dues or takes negligible dues, then when you, if you do have to go out on a labor dispute, then you don't have access to that resource there. And, and so there's a few quotes in here that I think are, are are, doing a GoFundMe, right? Right. Exactly. More tech bullshit. Yeah, and end up paying a portion of your strike fee to whatever processing platform you're using for that. And so they, they talked to a bunch of union organizers in here, and they, they had a bunch of quotes from people who I think were dead on. They, they, they talked to one person who works with a major union and asked to remain anonymous who said, My hesitation with these apps is that they are solving a problem that doesn't exist. Employers with impunity can destroy campaigns without facing retaliation or consequences from the government. That's the problem. It's not a lack of access to communications channels or legal mechanisms. And they also talked to uh, Michelle Miller, who is the founder of Coworker.org and is a former SEIU organizer who said, you know, like a lot of the stuff that we said at the beginning of this, you know, it's, it's really good that there's enough interest from folks, especially caused by the pandemic and in really this upsurge that we've seen in union organizing. But as she points out, quote, These apps are funded by private capital. What happens when private capital comes in and does our organizing work is that we don't reap the benefits from our work. It's not going back into the labor movement and teaching us how to do our work better. My primary concern is if we are trying to learn all the lessons for building a stronger labor movement, then those lessons can't be the intellectual property of private entities. It's extractive and frankly sucks. Yeah. Which is to say, like, it, the actual functional technology here, there's probably a couple of good ideas in there in the way they want to lay it out and design sure. it. But something like this is simply not ever going to be productive for the labor movement if, one, it's not basically free software that anybody can use and modify, and two, it's not set up in a way where the unions will start collecting dues and amassing resources to further their own, you know, their and other union movements. Yeah, and and as Lena had had mentioned earlier, you know, one of the major investors in Unit is Bloomberg Media. Right. <laughs> and and you know, Michael Bloomberg is not exactly a known fan of organized labor. I mean, when he was mayor of New York, he, you know, extracted a lot of really harsh 
deals with the, the public unions in the city that really ended up hurting a lot of those workers. And, you know, more broadly, like these venture capital companies, like we have to understand like that the ruling class tends to have a pretty high level of class consciousness mm-hmm. and that they're not investing in stuff like this because they think it's going to make the labor movement more powerful because if it did, that would hurt their bottom line. <laughs> because again, it, it, to make that distinction, it's not because the labor movement hurts the company, but the labor movement being more powerful returns more of that share of surplus back to the workers who produced it in the first place right. instead of it ending up in the pockets of the board or CEO or some fucking shareholders who didn't do anything. And so they're not going to throw all their money at a project they think is going to you know, shrink the, the the size of the pie that the investors get to skim off of the workers' labor. Right. That's right. Absolutely. And I just think that this is designed to create ineffective unions. Like, it, yeah. even if it manages to create unions, like, that's great, but they're going to be ineffective. They're not going to be yeah. properly trained. They're not going to have the kind of uh, knowledge that you need in order to do actions. I mean, and- this is literally, it's a very capitalist brain solution to what they see as the problem of unions, which is to create a new market solution that generates weaker unions, which is exactly, mm-hmm. you know, exactly what I think you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, so, so anyway, fuck this app. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't I don't believe in it. I just don't at all. And and you know what? I'm I would be happy to be proved wrong by some mirac- literal, literal sure, yeah. miracle. Some literal <laughs> miracle would to prove us wrong. And you know what? I'll be here waiting. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> honestly, all I need to I just need to know like how how well protected the source code is, right? Like cuz if some uh, people pop open games just to share them on the internet sure. all the time. And those are probably way better protected than this fucking APK bundle or however, like these smartphone apps work. So yeah. I would just be curious to see what the actual, what the actual guts of this thing look like taken apart by like some programming YouTuber or whatever. Yeah. yeah because like at best, like you said, Lena, it's going to create these ineffective, toothless, tiny unions with no links to each other. And at worst, I really would not be surprised if you find out that all the data that's being collected in here, all of the information on all of the people that are using this platform that they think is secure, that is, you know, going to be kept away from their bosses while they're trying to do this. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's all getting funneled into a database that is then sold and available on the market for any major corporation to yeah. buy so they can have a blacklist. Run, right. Yeah. Run it, yeah. Run a blacklist. They're going to, um, they're going to offer it as a, as a free supplement to your first year of Lexus Nexus subscription. <laughs> and then after that you have to pay for it. Well, and I think that your, your last comment, Dan leads into like maybe the last point that I, I think is worth making on this is that, you know, even if this makes a bunch of small, you know, slightly ineffective unions, it's not going to try to get those unions to hold solidarity actions because right. solidarity actions are illegal. Right. It's going to, and, and if they want to stay above board and they want to stay completely legal, they can't do any actual strong tactics. They can't ever say strike outside of your, you know, contract bargaining. You're, they're going to say put the no mm-hmm. strike clause in. They're, yep. And, and uh, and it's just going to be like a bunch of unions that are all separate, not holding solidarity with each other. And it's going to be the same thing as business unionism. Yeah. 
It's not going to yeah. tell you. It's the app is not going to tell you to fight dirty, and fighting dirty is an integral part of the union toolkit. <laughs> you know, like they say, you know, if you know you're you're already fighting, so you know you, if you're going to fight, you should fight dirty. I believe that that was Coach McGurk. Coach McGurk uh, right. says that. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, anyway, spe- speaking yeah. of fighting dirty, uh, we got mm-hmm. a story here. Out of the failing New York Times folks, they are they're not doing their best and and they're really treating their workers dirty in, in this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So folks may I, I think folks may have seen this one just because one of the aspects of this story was it's kind of funny. funny when it came yeah. out last yeah. week. Which is but for some background at the New York Times, like folks may be aware that there has been a surge uh, over the last, I don't know, probably five years or so in unionization at Print media, which barely exists now, but at online media. So you've seen like the rise of the News Guild, the CW, which I think is related to the CWA. I think it's part of the CWA. Yeah. It's like a Um, a little group inside of it. Yeah. So we've seen like progressively like people at newspapers, people at, you know, blogs, various journalists in general. There's been a big increase in unionization there, which has been great. But. Along with that, most of these businesses that are that do almost all their business online now tend to have a huge or at least a portion of their workers that are technical staff, and those folks are not traditionally included in those bargaining units. But the New York Times has had a recent effort uh, to get its relatively large technical staff unionized as well. And these folks who are uh, fighting to form the New York Times Tech Guild have... Again, recently been it's not the new york times that has done this it is the new york times workers that are doing this well it's, right because yeah, it's not the new york times effort to to create this union just, y- just yes, to be clear it's, it's, yeah it's the technical workers at the new york times who have been you know start they've gone through the general effort they've gotten people to sign you know sign their union cards they got everybody together they went to the company and the company, you know, the progressive New York Times. They the, said, the, absolutely. We are here for you. We that's right. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> no, wait. I'm checking the it's coming off the newswire. That's not what happened. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, the New York Times did the same thing every other company does, uh, which is, you know, put forth this. Uh, you know, face that they really care about their employees. And then when it comes down to actually potentially having to give them the benefits that might come with collective bargaining, well, they, uh, you know, turn into every other company and have, you know, started all of the classic union busting tactics. And, and that's resulted in, you know, some, some actions from these tech workers who are, are really fighting to get their recognition that they deserve. And, Specifically, last week on Wednesday, they staged a half-day walkout to protest the company's failure to recognize the union. And one aside from this is that, you know, we've talked about the attempts to organize the tech sector before. We've talked about stuff like the Alphabet Workers Union. We've talked about folks trying to organize inside Amazon. And, and, you know, a whole bunch of different places. We talked about the stuff going on at Activision Blizzard recently. But there still hasn't been a lot of major successful unionizing efforts within tech. and Partially if, because if all of those people that we just listed got together, maybe... <laughs> uh, right. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, continue. <laughs> so 
that's one of the things that makes this kind of a high-profile fight. It's not just because, you know, it's a fight at one of the largest newspapers in the country and in, really in the world, but also because if the Tech Guild is successful in their organizing effort, they would become the largest single group of organized tech workers in the country. And so they're a, currently a, a roughly 600-person bargaining unit. They went public with their drive in April. And since then, the the... The New York Times has put up, you know, every single fight that we've seen all these other companies make. That, and, and it's resulted in specifically three unfair labor practice charges from the, the tech guild alleging the company violated the law that, you know, prevents the companies from coercing workers and interfering with their right to unionize. And so on Wednesday, they, they staged a half-day walkout. And a big part of what prompted that was the way that the New York Times company is trying to manipulate the size of the bargaining unit, which is something that we talked about quite a bit when we talked about the, the Amazon drive. Although they're doing it kind of in the opposite way. In, in Bessemer, what Amazon did was they said, oh, you think you're organizing 1,500 people? No, 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 no. There's 5,000 people. And so they, mm -hmm. they basically tried to flood the pool with, to make the bargaining unit so large that the, the union would not have enough time to get to everybody and would end up losing the election, which, in addition to all the other illegal bullshit they did, certainly had, had some role in what happened in the first yeah. election. It's Absolutely. Kind of, it's fuckery that I think that and this is when we say how they want uh, the union here to be small, we're going to see exactly the way that the ruling class views these workers to say that, oh, we in an in a Amazon warehouse, you know, people are dumb, and so we want a lot of people. And in this union, they're smart, and so we want little people. You know, like that's well, yeah, because what they're. They're, they're just trying think, to. At least I think it's that that they're they're kind of framing it that way in their brains. Well, yeah, they're worried about the efficacy of these workers, right? And so they're trying right. to make the group as small as possible because then if they you know hem and haw over technicalities and who and they can shrink the size of the group smaller and smaller, then eventually it will be of less significance to them if they a ever do have to capitulate. But also, B, the amount of resources that they'll have to put forward towards stopping their demands will be much lower as well. Right. Because the, the issue that we're running, we're running into here is that the folks that have been organizing with the Tech Guild have, you know, about 600 folks in their bargaining unit. But the Times is claiming, oh, no, 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 no. The actual bargaining unit size is less than 400 people. And because they're attempting to exclude over 230 workers, including data analysts, project managers, product managers, designers, and assistants. And they have a quote here from one of the organizing committee members who says, quote, this is uh, organizing committer, committee member Nasli Samadzadeh. I apologize for butchering that name. Uh, quote, my job would be impossible without all these other functions. It's absurd to think of leaving behind so many of my colleagues. And that, I mean, that's the thing. That's, that, again, gets right to the heart of it is, is because, like, it obviously, if you have, the, like, all of these groups of people all working on the same project, it makes sense that they should all be able to organize together. And so, of course, like John said, like, and, and Lena said, like, the New York Times is just trying to poke as many holes in there to make this group as ineffective as possible. And we know why they're doing this, not just because of, you know, History. class analysis and, and, and a historical understanding of the labor movement, but in this case, From their because own they mouth. leaked their own strategy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love this part where they yeah, like, I mean, this is... accidentally CC'd a union organizer <laughs> yeah. on the fucking email. That's the most <laughs> boomer mistake you could possibly make, which is just like weirdly satisfying that like they had a how do I rotate PDF moment and accidentally <laughs> shared their main strategy with the with the union organizers. I just love the idea of like clicking the send button and then leaning back in your chair and just being like, wait a minute. <laughs> oh oh fuck oh oh fuck <laughs> yeah because they literally emailed the entire strategy that that the anti-union law firm that the times hired to build their strategy for busting the union to one of the union organizers who then promptly you know shared it with all of the rest of the organizing people and the media and so, you know, last last week, this was this story came out, I believe, on Thursday and it it leaked, you know, all the same shit that we keep seeing from all of the most noxious anti-union companies out there. Like they had a slide in here that that specifically it was called operating principles from their lawyers that specifically said they were seeking the smallest bargaining unit that is justifiable uh, because they basically looked at it and said, well, we don't think we can expand the bargaining unit to such a big size that it would be unlikely to pass. And so they opted for what the, the law firm labeled as the most aggressive option, which was to try and restrict the size to under 400 members. Wow. Yeah. And, and (laughs) so like, this is, it's just like, we know all this stuff is happening, but because, of course, the company is always trying to keep up this facade of, no, no, we're trying to bargain in good faith. We care about our workers. We're just, you know, trying to make sure we follow the right procedures. And then that just completely is laid bare that none of that is true, that that, that they're trying to fuck the union over as much as they possibly can. Well, and this whole, like, strategizing about the size of the bargaining unit really um, stinks of the wider anti-labor trend in the United States, which is just general misclassification of employees right. uh, mm-hmm. in, in saying that, like, these fields of work in our facility don't connect to these fields, which is ludicrous because uh, you wouldn't have them in in the same facility working together if that were true uh like dan gestured towards but also like sometimes in the case of gig economy uh companies trying to not even classify workers as workers they're like well they right. don't have any standing to do this yeah uh, and it, it's it's all just um it's it's all just technicality bullshit they're all just they're just trying to win by the letter of the law and well, instead of actually engage in any kind of uh reasonable good faith argument about the the conditions or the wages or whatever at their facilities yeah on that same thought i think that we're, we're if we look at these 600 some workers i bet i bet that that number is actually conservative as well because i can't even i can't even imagine how many contract workers are not are like you oh, know maybe yeah. in and out of the office once a week or you know every other week or work from home and only consult over one meeting a week and Mm -hmm. and how and how those people are not necessarily included not because the union doesn't necessarily want to include them but because they're really focusing on the bargaining unit unit that they can really communicate with consistently Mm -hmm. but but really like if we actually looked at all of the people that should be part of this union i bet that that number is closer to 2000 uh uh, the number of workers that are doing all this tech work i mean it's the new york times they don't have just 600 tech workers 
Right. Well, I mean, yeah. this has been a, a repeated theme in the stories that we've looked at on this show, which is like, you, I mean, you see this with uh, healthcare workers who are not necessarily nurses or orderlies or whatever. Maybe they work in the cafeteria. Maybe they mm-hmm. they do groundskeeping or you know waste management or you know they're a janitor or other uh, cleanliness worker and like. They're not included in any of this shit either. And the more militant unions have done a really good job about trying to expand their protections to those workers and or help them develop their own union under the protection of the larger associated union. Uh, And the reason for that is because these companies will always try to do this. They'll always try to say like, well, okay, you're a software engineer. You're allowed in the union, but you're a data analyst and that's not (laughs) computery enough. So you're not in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and one of the other things that this leak exposed that the workers were quick to point out was the illegal practices that the Times has been engaging in because they point out in here that one of the slides is a chart estimating support among potential union staffers oh. based on, on, on polling, which you're not allowed That's to do. That's right. pretty illegal. You're not allowed to map the who is and isn't union or isn't is and isn't pro-union despite the fact that they always do that they will always do that because they're they're trying to target the people like you know in the captive audience meetings if you stop being invited it's because they know you're pro-union you know right yeah and and angela guo who's one of the organizing members of the union like i think put it really well he said quote this is not a neutral stance. This is not indicative of wanting a free and fair election in which everyone's voices are heard. This is just additional proof that they are being disingenuous with their intentions. And that's absolutely right. It's like you should always assume your co- your company is bargaining in bad faith because they always are. It is they always are. <laughs> yeah, it's it's right. in their material incentive to. And I think another a story that really gets at the heart of what you know, John and Lena, what you were talking about here with the way that so many companies now will use contract work and misclassification to try and divide workers and, and you know, generally fuck them over is this story about striking sanitation workers out of India. This is specifically workers in the city of Patna, which is in uh, northeast India in the state of Bihar. Uh, and... This story I thought was great, mostly due to the <laughs> tactics of yeah. the striking workers. Very bad. Because, yeah, so I think like some people have maybe seen some of the media portrayals of striking sanitation workers, like specifically in like New York in the 70s or the mm-hmm. 80s. And I think people sometimes take the wrong view of that because a lot of media tries to be like, oh, look at how corrupt the sanitation workers unions were because of how, you know, anti-worker so much U.S. media is. But I think the important thing to take away from that, and we'll see from this story, is that, like, you should pay your fucking sanitation workers. Yeah. Because otherwise they're going to throw trash all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, best case scenario, they stop picking it up which is bad enough, but then you realize that they have trucks and other equipment specifically for hauling trash around and they can do whatever they want with those. If they're not working, uh, it starts to spell like trash all over the front lawns of CEOs, shareholders, uh, local political figures, you know, whoever. And right. I like that these workers weren't just throwing trash. They were throwing fucking dead animal carcasses, <laughs> yeah. <which> yeah. <laughs> fucking rips like that. And that's pretty sick. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, 
like, not, I'm not, you know, suggesting that if you were a sanitation worker and you were trying to figure out what action you wanted to do to get the leverage that you needed, that you should not necessarily dump a ton of trash on your boss's lawn, because that would be, uh, bad? Anyway. But we are, we are <laughs> noting that the old deer guts on the front yard trick does seem to be strangely effective. It's, it's <laughs> wild how effective it is. That's right. Well, and, and because, I mean, so, like, the thing is, modern cities create an absolutely astronomical amount of trash, mm-hmm. like, just because of the number of people that are, you know, crammed into, you know, every square kilometer of, of every one of these cities. And so this this strike in Patna, it was by several thousand sanitation workers, specifically contractual and, and daily la- wage workers. Uh, who are were protesting because uh, of similar things that we've talked about in a bunch of different stories, like the the parallels between this and the the oil workers strike in Iran. I think mm-hmm. are, are pretty striking it for the specific complaints, which is basically that these workers are doing the exact same job as the permanent employees of the city, which, which is because that that's their employer, the Patna Municipal Corporation, which is the 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 body that the city government is organized to run the the trash collection and that you have these permanent workers making 30,000 rupees per month whereas the contractual workers are only getting 9,000 so less than a third and the outsourced like daily wage worker was only getting 7,000 a month uh which like that differential is insane. Yeah. <laughs> like that you're having these people all doing the exact same work, but some getting paid like a quarter what the others are paying. And so that, you know, uh, led to an understandable, you know, over surge of, of, of anger from these workers who are demanding that contractual workers should get at least 18,000 rupees per month as they have been working day and night to keep the city clean and clear the garbage. This is uh, a quote from Nand Kishore Das, who's the general secretary of the federation that these workers belong to. And so because the city refused to accede to their demands, they said, fine, fuck it. And not only did they, like, as, as, as was alluded to, like, they, not only did they stop picking up trash, they just started dumping it in streets and leaving dead animals <laughs> all, <laughs> like, at, at various places around the city. Yeah. <laughs> What did the what was the um that militant group that was like the Black Panthers but in New York City the young um oh the young lords the young lords they did like the a similar thing in in their history with the with the way that sanitation workers were treated one of their militant actions was was about was like with trash and stuff like that yep. you know it's and- a historically it works <laughs> well it ruffles feathers in response to this the city commission uh in Patna. Uh, filed a complaint with the local police against the workers' leaders for throwing garbage on the roads, hanging dead animals in the premises of the PMC headquarters, and allegedly <laughs> instigating and creating problems in official work, which is Heads like... Heads on pikes. Heads on uh, pikes. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, though. It's like it, it's so striking that like you have a fucking labor dispute and, and you do something that's a little bit outside of the law, and like immediately the fucking jackbooted police arm of capital, police leg of capital, I guess comes down to try and and crush you and what what gives me optimism about this is that this isn't like a few uh sanitation workers this is th- thousands of people yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and in addition to the several thousand who went on strike for the past week, uh, because as we're going to get to, the strike has now ended. And I think a big part of the reason why is probably because of the response from the broader workers organization in this whole state, because after the workers had been on strike for several days and, and doing these actions, some of the workers, by the way, who have been working on a contractual basis for 10 years. Damn. So like, this is one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, it's temp it's to perm, but don't system. worry. It's a you'll definitely You'll definitely get a, a permanent job. And then these folks are hearing that shit for 10 fucking years while getting paid like less than a, a third the amount of the permanent employees. Right. Just like and, and, everywhere in the world. Yeah. And so in response to the, the government not, you know, listening to the workers, the broader sanitation workers union for the entirety of Bihar state threatened to go on strike uh, at the end of the month if the demands of the workers aren't met. And so on Friday, the workers ended their strike after the city officials met with the, the leadership of the workers and promised to meet as many of their demands as, you know, quote, possibly within their, you know, legal boundaries. Because, you know, you, it, it, is, it is slightly different when you're, you know, having a municipal strike versus one against a, a private employee. Sure, sure. But one thing that what this article, because this is, pretty much all coming out of news click with a little bit from the times of India um, that they mentioned in here is that over the past year, these same workers have gone on strike twice and been given assurances that they would, you know, get stuff fixed and then not had their demands yet. So while obviously, you know, we're hopeful that the additional threat from the statewide union will get these folks to, to actually listen to them for once. I appreciated that the president of these, the the Patna Municipal Corporation Fourth Grade Employees Association, uh, PK Azad uh, Bartier said, a meeting was held in the presence of PMC Commissioner Himanshu Sharma. They asked for a month's time to fulfill our demands, which are not pending in court. And then the important part: if they fail to do so, we will stage protests again. And so. The thing that I appreciate about this is that obviously we shouldn't necessarily just be, and I'm sure they're not, just optimistically assuming that they're going to get what they want. So they they made the municipal government stick to a very specific and relatively short deadline. So there's already a hard date of four weeks from now where they're like, yeah, so we're not just going to take you on your word. If you haven't done shit in a month, we're we're going to do this again. Right. Yeah. And since they already had the statewide organization offering to back them up, like that's you know, like that's a lot of people. I, I was looking it up. I believe there's about 2.5 million people in Patna, and so to shut down the entire state, like that's a huge amount of uh, you know, people that would be left without sanitation services, which would, you know, run into, I think quite a bit of public pressure. And just looking it up, this is a state with a population of 99 million people. God so, damn. Yeah. Which by contrast, I looked up the population of that Indiana town earlier and it <laughs> oh, was yeah, 78,000 or something like that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the population of California is only 39 million. So think, three Californias shut down. Yeah. So, so I mean, obviously like, 
you know, these folks have lied, the, the government has lied to these folks before, but I think it's good that they, they're, they've got a specific deadline, they've got additional folks backing them up in solidarity, and they've already been out doing, like, badass tactics, so, like, my hats are off, my, my hats off to these workers, and I really hope that, you know, that government realizes that they're not fucking around, <laughs> yeah. and that if they don't actually try to do something to, you know, make these compensation more fair for these people and improve their working conditions that you know there's probably going to start being trash and dead animals hung around in the street again in a few weeks yeah well um i think that we as usual we try to push a kind of a good story to the end so that we can you know (laughs) look at the look at the uh positive uh effects of, of unionization and worker power uh, and this one is, uh, I guess, uh, a rehashing of an old story, but uh, there's some slightly new details to it. But apparently, in 2018, we had uh, one an American company, Kellogg's. You might be familiar <laughs> with the, the cereal company. They had a They're factory from around in, here. Yeah, in Michigan. Uh, yeah, in uh, in Venezuela, they had a factory that closed. Uh, partially in protest of the fact that their boy Juan Guaido was a fucking like piece of shit, <laughs> and yeah. they didn't they didn't like Maduro and uh, boo hoo fuck them nobody cares. In fact, nobody cared so much that when they left, the workers were like, "Oh, we already know how to do this," and they just took over the factory and did it themselves. The kind of thing that we allude to sometimes. We say like, oh, well, you know, maybe we should just give the workers the company. And, you know, maybe that seems so far, you know, fetched. Uh, like, oh, these these podcasters are, you know, hoping for something that isn't ever going to happen. But it, there is this example of it happening, which reminds me very much so of the uh, food bank McDonald's from France. Yes. But... um Basically, this company left, and they left in such a hurry that they left a year's worth of crafting materials, as well as the fact that all of their supply chains were in Venezuela. And so ever since then, this company has been running, producing what they call, or well, what their version of, the socialist Kellogg. You know, they are the (laughs) the workers' version of Kellogg's, where they produce the cereal and distribute it to their own country and it's work around it's really fucking awesome really. oh man and, and i bet like you know if john harvey kellogg were alive to see this today <laughs> he would be mortified uh, I don't oh, know absolutely. specifically how he felt about socialism, but he hated masturbation <laughs> with a fury <laughs> and invented cornflakes because he thought eating simple grains would prevent masturbation and also sexual urges. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's 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 uh, it's interesting to see a Kellogg's factory uh, fuck so hard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, I mean. All- all the more reason why I'd much rather that a factory like this be in the hands of the workers who are actually producing this stuff instead of the, you know, whatever weird freaks are, are <laughs> on like the Kellogg's board. Yeah. Because like they mention in here that as soon as, as Kellogg's are like, yeah, we're closing the factory, which by the way, they didn't do. And you know, Oh, they had a big meeting and they told everybody what was going on. They yeah, told everybody like evil foods version. Yeah, they're like, hey, uh, take the weekend off. We're just, uh, we're going to retool some stuff. Don't worry about it. And then the folks came back on that Monday to find, you know, chains on the doors and a sign that said permanently closed. And so they just, instead of, you know, 
being like, oh, damn, I guess we're fucked. They, because, you know, they actually have a socialist government in Venezuela, flaws as it has, like they went to the Ministry of Labor and the, the local state government through their union and said, hey, uh, this is fucked. There's no reason this place should close. We have all of the materials we need. All the workers know how to operate the whole place. There's nothing preventing us from running it. And so the state government was like, yeah, no, sounds good. We'll help you. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it just reminds me of the the way that since these workers knew what they were doing, the ways in which the, like the U.S. imperial system tends to like under uh, prepare or under educate uh, populations so that they are not able to do this, and when they make the mistake of actually providing the resources, not only the infrastructure but also the the training, that they literally are able to do the entire thing themselves as a group of workers. And I just love how they fucked up their imperialism. They <laughs> should just keep doing that. Yeah, I mean, like, it was a huge windfall for the Venezuelan workers that all of the supply chains, like all of the corn and all of the other products that go into what they're making at this facility all come from venezuela so like they they didn't suddenly not have access to their like u.s companies that ship things from great britain to thailand and then to venezuela or whatever they were able to just like hold on to the same rolodex they'd been using to make logistics calls for the last however many years um which is i mean it, it also i think in a way speaks to the efficiency of like regional industry <laughs> Absolutely. when at all possible just not sending things around the world three times to get them made and shipped <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and and there's a couple of really great quotes in here from the president of the, the workers union uh, here orlando Contreras, who said quote thanks to us being trained and well organized all of us workers reopened the factory and put it into production we took over the factory to protect the rights of the workers we enforce the food policies inside our homeland of Simon Bolivar and Chavez. Now Kellogg's company here is a socialist enterprise. The basic <laughs> principles of our socialist enterprise are to dignify the work of our working class, increase the levels of production, guarantee that the equipment is highly maintained, produce good quality products in a fair price, and to be a self-sustainable company to contribute to the economic development of our country. Holy shit. This is, this is why we shouldn't have socialism, because that all sounds... Well, no, that actually all sounds really good. Sounds really good. I'd love to see the <laughs> ke- the socialist Kellogg factory. I mean, like guys say yeah. they know a spot and take you to the socialist Kellogg factory. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. And, and like, you know, lest people say that they're like, oh, this is just socialist in name only. They just switched the, the boss from, you know, the Kellogg's company to the state. No, 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 no. Because they mentioned in here specifically that... He says, quote, the new socialist Kellogg president, Milton Torres, and the administration consult with us workers to make important decisions. If the company is doing well, they ask the workers which benefits they want to improve and prioritize. They're currently in discussions about creating a collective board with the union leaders and the administration of the factory. So this is that's I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, working there's steps to go through, but that's worker self-management. Like, yeah. that's good shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, I mean, uh. No, I, I'm 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 gonna go with the Western press on this one. Okay, this was all a ploy <laughs> by the Maduro regime to secure the, <laughs> the honey smacks, because Maduro can't live without his his Kellogg's honey smacks in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I 
one thing they the the um they are just offer, offering to pay Kellogg's for this actually, which I think is a mistake. But you know they're trying to keep this on the up and up. Uh, although Kellogg's themselves have been suing the Venezuelan government for seventy two million dollars for expropriating the factory. <laughs> um, and I and I just want to take that seventy two million dollar mark for literally a piece of property as like some sort of retribution but then when we talk about people's lives and the fines by the u.s osha and how it can be like a million dollars for six lives but yet somehow like to this company it's 72 million for this factory that they just up and fucking left yeah yeah i mean i i think at least for me, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I believe the doctrine of finders keepers applies here. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And 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 the pursuant clause, losers weepers. That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> so go cry into your fucking cornflakes, Kellogg's. <laughs> yeah, fuck Kellogg's. Long live socialist Kellogg's, the vastly superior cornflake company. That's right. And I think that that leads us very perfectly into our first meme in the meme review. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We we alluded to this one earlier, folks, about, you know, this the the misperception that companies will try and give you that union dues are some big, you know, onerous hardship. And so this this meme is it's it's a picture of Floyd Mayweather with one of the most money obsessed men of all time <laughs> with just stacks and stacks and stacks of bills in front of him. And it's captioned what's left of my union paycheck after paying my dues. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great illustration because I mean, I tried to do some quick maths and it's, I cannot tell how much money is on that table. It looks like he's got it in like hundred thousand dollars stacks. And there's probably 45, 70 of them? I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I, I see 11 by 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15. I like <laughs> by 16. It's like 12 by 16 uh, rows. And I think and they're columns. probably $10,000 stacks. But yeah, no, it's it's a lot of money. But I mean, this is, I, it also reminded me of that like video meme that we saw a while ago from the guy who was like, and this is what my union dues go to. And he's just <laughs> listing, it's just like the best free health care you can get. Yeah. Like four weeks of paid vacation, paid maternity leave, paid paternity leave, like, you know, like all this sick days and, and, you know, all of the tons of shit that like, the benefits he was describing, and this is for what, you know, the fucking press would call unskilled labor, which, again, does not exist. Right. Uh, like, working at my old gig in the fucking imperialism industry, I never had benefits nearly that fucking good. No. And I, like, he, I, I wish I could have paid union dues to get stuff like that. He was going off. He was like, you think, you hear about the Cadillac of healthcare. I have the fucking, uh, what did he say, the Bentley of healthcare plans or something <laughs> like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah. The Rolls Royce, like... But yeah, like so the union dues are well fucking worth it. They are like what they are, you know, the best investment a worker can make. Yeah, I mean, there you want to talk about if you're one of those like uh, cash obsessed. I know a few of these cash obsessed, like very conservative, like constantly like how what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Union dues are one of the best values on the dollar. You're going to get Absolutely. Uh, unless there's suddenly a, a blowout sale on saffron. Uh, <laughs> 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 union dues are a great way to spend your money you get a ton of shit for it including more money yeah absolutely 
So I think that with the next bit of our meme review, we're going to touch a little bit on a topic that's been uh, harassing us in social media (laughs) every fucking day for like the past week and has been driving me absolutely fucking insane. Just like, I don't know, the, the the bad takes, the fucking, the goddamn, like, Warhawk motherfuckers at Politico and all those other goddamn news organizations piss me off to no end. And it and this meme, it really, it, it kind of explains a little bit of what, you know, the actual analysis should be from from any sort of news organization on Afghanistan. And, and it's just a... SpongeBob with his uh, hall monitor uh, hat or whatever, you know, where yeah. he's got the walkie-talkies out with Patrick, and he's the there's the wanted maniacs uh, picture on the pole behind him with a photo of SpongeBob. And he's like uh, the United States investigating who keeps destabilizing all these countries. Yeah, and um, yeah, you might. Uh, well, I guess the next one that i have in here is kind of i mean yeah i mean there's just so many memes that you could use for the u.s involvement in afghanistan in any other fucking country in the world that we've ever invaded like you could use spider-man pointing at spider-man you could use we're all trying to find the guy who did this uh (laughs) you know like it's always us it's never not the united states like any turmoil that's in afghanistan is not only a result of u.s involvement at like various times in the past when we were like trying to proxy war fight the soviets and everything but it's also uh, been a continuation of the last 20 years of us being there there is never ever a point at which u.s involvement those two words spell anything good (laughs) for a country that's not one of our closest allies already yeah and if we look back far enough it's a bit more than 20 years that we've been uh you know intervening yeah this the next one is just it's one of those times where i'm like is the cia account just trolling everyone because like looking at this i was surprised because this is a tweet from this year like just a few months ago back in april where the cia twitter account which by the way is all twitter accounts um tweeted out this a picture of a fucking missile and it's just the stinger missile supplied by the united states gave afghan guerrillas generally known as the mujahideen the ability to destroy the dreaded mi-24d helicopter gunships employed by the soviets to enforce their control over afghanistan <laughs> hashtag hist int hashtag museum <laughs> and like this tweet is dedicated to the brave mujahideen fighters of afghanistan <laughs> yeah. i guess like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, just like, I, I mean, even from the most surface level analysis, which you'll get from Libs, which is, you, you know, you might see a little bit, although not right now, because they're all fucking apoplectic, blaming the American public for abandoning their colonial project they love so much. But sometimes you'll get this concept of blowback from them, which I think from the Libs is usually a relatively surface level take because it ignores a lot of what the U.S. does. But, like, the whole idea that they've been trumpeting how – continuing to trumpet the success, quote-unquote, of training the brave Mujahideen fighters. I'm like, 
who do you think made up the fucking Taliban? Would <laughs> they just pop out of the ground? <laughs> well, this always yeah. happens. The U.S. is obsessed with finding like religious fundamentalist groups or you know whatever other kind of like conservative or otherwise anti-communist or otherwise an- anti the enemies of the state, which has gotten pretty confusing at this point because everyone's been an enemy of the state at some point. But they always find them. They always arm them, and then they're like, "Oh my God, they have done some horrible shit over there." Now we have to go in and stop that. <laughs> and it's always this, it. this 20 year cycle where it's like, hmm, maybe we should throw some guns into a difficult situation where some people are fighting really hard for democracy or socialism or, or any of the many, you know, progressive or socialist movements that have happened in the Middle East. We always put a stop to it. And then we're like, who are these guys who showed up and made everything crazy? Yeah, I mean, you could. <laughs> There's so many of these that are the same. You could do another one that was that, that's like from the fucking Iraq War, where mm-hmm. they're like Saddam has all these chemical weapons. We have to stop him. And then immediately, some people, at least not unfortunately, not enough, were like, "Hey, where'd those chemical weapons come from? <laughs> uh, where'd he get those?" Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh wait, it turns out it was the United States. I that mean, we gave them to him to fight Iran. Why? Why are war many wars across the Middle East fought almost exclusively with American arms from the back yeah, of a weird. bunch of Toyota Hiluxes. <laughs> Nobody fucking knows. Like, <laughs> well, then, yeah. well, like we, we invaded fucking Panama to arrest Manuel Noriega for drug running when he was running drugs for the CIA. Exactly. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear more yeah. about this in our next episode, <laughs> our next overtime episode. Yeah. Anyway, um, this next one is actually a three step. It could be a three panel, but it's actually just three separate photos. Um, it's the free real estate guy. Have you ever seen the guy with the smirk Tim on his Heidecker. face? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's free real estate, but it, this one is, it's free table. Now, I I got this series from when I we were talking about how to do distribution of food or goods or things like that. And someone tagged uh, another person who was like, hey, can you uh, can you give us that that quit, that how-to guide on on how we actually give things away? And uh, and it's literally just this these three memes that these three photos that get posted and it's it's free table and then it's a, a pamphlet that says free table a guide to, a guide in three easy steps and they opens up the pamphlet and it says step one put out the table step two put stuff on the table step three people give and receive stuff like that's it you just, I mean people uh, and. You just People do already it. do this. Like I driving around fucking West Michigan and driving around Pittsburgh recently as well. Like uh, you just see shit out all the time that has a fucking free sign on it. It's how I got my favorite couch. It's not the one I'm sitting on right now. And I have two couches because people give shit away. That's perfectly <laughs> usable. Yeah. So uh, well, and it's a it's a good mutual aid method. My my org has has done free stores a bunch of times where we'll collect like shitloads of clothing donations, like uh, hygiene supplies, food, all sorts of stuff. And then just go out to the park, set up a bunch of tables mm-hmm. and put stuff on the tables and just be like, it's free. You can have it. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then back in the work stoppage, more specific wheelhouse. I've got, we've got a banished Bernie meme, which is like the 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 supposedly like the dystopian future communist Bernie Sanders profile like yeah. I don't know whatever thing. Well, and it's a what, it's a it's a play on punished snake, I believe. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. 
and uh, and and this is one of my favorites. It reminds me of the uh, the uh, workers who work fast die young or whatever uh, from last week. And uh, this one is lower your productivity to match your wage. Barely do your job. <laughs> I love that energy. Great, just, great yeah, advice. Just lower your lower your productivity to match your wage. Guess what? You weren't getting that raise anyway. They were gonna replace you with kiosks anyway. Your boss was gonna fuck with your schedule anyway. Don't worry about it. Either unionize or do the amount of work you get paid for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you know you hear that stupid fucking joke that you know managers always love to to do to like passive aggressively try and get you to do more shit. Oh, working hard or hardly working. And the response to that is I'm working exactly as hard as you're fucking paying me to work. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And on that note, that will be the episode for this week. Uh, we really appreciate you for being a listener. And if you want to support us, become a patron at patreon.com slash work stoppage. We are entirely listener supported. So that is how we, you know, get a little bit of compensation for our work here. If you'd like, you can give us a review on any platform and again write a bad review for people who suck and tell them to listen to us instead (laughs) Uh, join the discord to get access to these great memes that free table meme is going to be right there in the discord for you Uh, follow us on uh, twitter at work stoppage pod listen to beep beep lettuce john's other podcast and red game table dan's other podcast and we will see you next week again Labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity, folks. Toast, cold, mag, gold, foam, blue hat Kerosene, the fan, ricochet deck Color-coordinated cowboy catchphrase Kilowatt, capillary, chemical kill Computer can road, connection, can and camouflage cash Crystal canary in the coal mine And a cortex cowboy kaleidoscope Like a concrete cactus cracking in the cardboard coliseum Computer can road, connection, can and camouflage cash Crystal canary in a coal mine Land a cortex Open that scope Like a concrete cactus Cracking in the Coliseum <laughs>